Ian, who's smarter, Walter White or Peyton Manning? <laughs> Ian Henson. With me, as always, is Kyle Montgomery. How's it going, everybody? We are fresh off a shellacking of the Baltimore Ravens. A butt whooping. Eating crow, <laughs> not really eating crow. We ate raven. <laughs> I uh, yeah, seven touchdowns. I, I I got a text message from like a friend who doesn't even watch football, and he's like, Peyton Manning's about to do something. I'm like, no, someone's thrown seven touchdowns before, but but no, they haven't. No, not for 44 years or something like that. And nobody's done it without throwing. No interceptions. Peyton Manning uh, continues to rewrite record books, and it's an honor to have him in a Broncos uniform doing it. Yeah, we got a. Uh, I mean, there's a, just so many things to talk about from the Ravens game to, to pull from. Seven touchdowns. Um, Julius Thomas, which if you're a Broncos fan, probably wasn't much of a secret, but hello NFL. I'm Julius Orange Thomas. Julius. <laughs> Orange Julius. Uh, Demarius Thomas. Oh, um, Wes Welker. Nine catches in his first game as a Bronco. Um, How about 270 yards thrown to guys named Thomas? <laughs> That's a good stat. <laughs> Julius and Demarius just tore up the Ravens secondary. There was no. I'm gonna. I'm gonna leave the fact that Eric Decker was targeted just as many times as Wes Welker alone for now. But uh, oh, Decker. Um, how did you feel about the defense? Well, I mean, the game had us all wound up pretty tight in the first half. We were down 17-14 in the first half. So everybody's nervous. The defense isn't uh, getting any pressure on Flacco. And then they just came in and went balls out in the second half, both the offense and the defense did. Uh, I not even I can't even remember now if they got any sacks before halftime, but by the end of the night, we had Sean Phillips with two and a half. Uh, the defense was able to get that pressure on Joe Flacco. The offense put up a subsequent 35 points and the rest is history. The Ravens just didn't have a chance. Chris Harris, uh, was another pick. I, I wrote to Chris Harris after the game and I, and I said, Joe Flacco must see you smiling at him in his nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That, that was, that was beautiful. That the last interception that Joe Flacco had had was to Chris Harris in the regular season. That, that was amazing. That's an amazing stat. And then uh, Danny Trevate, and I'm not going to go into the dropping of the football. He made a mistake, but it was a great interception from from a, you know his first game starting, and and he's not even really supposed to be here, but he proved that he that he that he should be. Well, Trevathan had a good game outside of that one blockhead moment, and it was a big blockhead moment. I'm not going to lay it on him too heavy, but it deserves to be talked about. It was a 14 point swing. It really was because the Ravens marched right down the field and scored a touchdown, and the Broncos were half a yard away from scoring a defensive touchdown. So you wipe our touchdown off, you add it to the Ravens' scoreboard. The Ravens kind of got back into it just off of that mental gaffe. It's the same thing that Trenton Holiday did a season ago, and it's time that the Broncos uh, get more notes on their locker from Peyton Manning about finishing their job and not worrying about uh, making the highlight reel or making the big promotion. Or their reality show. Oh, right. Uh, <laughs> so we do have uh, some breaking news, and, and it's not often that we break news in this podcast, but we actually have breaking news, and it revolves around Von Miller, the chosen son of, of Denver. Kyle, um, Von Miller, right now there's, there's a situation in which the Broncos are going to likely 
take back uh, signing bonus that they've given to him. Um, we got word from ESPN's Adam Schefter late in the day on Tuesday that this may be creating some type of situation, I guess to say it lightly, uh, between the between the player and his team. Yeah, Schefter hinted at a potential situation on Sunday. Uh, and I can re- read a quote here from Sunday. Uh, it turns out that a lot of this thing is coming to pass. He said that there, there's a possibility of this happening, of a dispute happening between the Broncos and, and Von Miller. And this indeed is happening. And uh, here's the quote from Schefter. The Broncos will reclaim $1.25 million of the signing bonus money they gave Miller, automatically withholding it from his paychecks when he's eligible to play again. This is according to Schefter's report on Sunday. Uh, but Miller's defense team is convinced the returns of bonus money is not included with the settlement it reached with the NFL. Miller spent this past Friday in Washington going over the terms of the settlement. It sets up a showdown between Miller and the Broncos. Quote, unquote, that was Sunday. Now here we are. The showdown seems to be happening. We heard news of it uh, this late this Tuesday. So a couple, couple things at, at work here. Um, one, Von Miller was a member of that original CBA team uh, when they signed a new CBA team he was there with Drew Brees he was there with Tom Brady he was part of that CBA team what um, I believe Schefter had reported on local Denver radio was that this isn't the the Broncos attempting to reclaim that has nothing to do with the CBA so now it literally is just Von Miller versus the Broncos and and Von Miller will likely have the NFLPA behind him he will but the Broncos do have leverage I mean they played well without Miller um, he's going to hold out, which would be the the showdown. Really, would be about that. That that's Miller's leverage. I'm going to hold out. Um, the Broncos played well. Sean Phillips had two and a half sacks. Uh, they had a couple, uh, or at least one other sack uh, across the defense, and so it sets up an interesting showdown where Miller uh, talks about his value versus what the Broncos believe. Here's the interesting point about the CBA, though. The CBA has already been broken in this case. Miller's confidentiality was broken. That was part of the league's substance abuse policy that players will have that privacy that is a right of theirs. So now there's a settlement. When we talk about the settlement, that's what we're talking about, the fact that confidentiality was breached. Things got leaked to the media that shouldn't have been. So what Miller's defense team is saying is that that settlement means that Miller gets to keep that bonus money. And the Broncos and perhaps the NFL are saying that's not what that means at all. They're trying to follow that part of the CBA that says – if you violate the substance abuse policy, that part of your, your that prorated part of your signing bonus is gone. And being part of that original uh, CBA, Von Miller isn't one of these draft picks who's making, you know, sixty million dollars, eighty million dollars in a guaranteed eight-year contract. He's 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 on the lower end of, of he's the first year of the guys who are making not a ton of money. So one point two five million is is a decent chunk of change on a total amount of money that Von Miller has earned up until this point. We can figure it out pretty quickly. What percentage of that is his salary for this season? If he was making $800,000, that's what's getting deducted from his paycheck right now, period. That's not under debate. That's his paycheck salary. So he loses that 800000 for six weeks. If you spread that out over the course of 16 games, that's going to be roughly $2 million right there. It's as if the Broncos are taking away his entire 2013 salary. And then expecting him to... To, to carry them, you know, into the playoffs and then to the Super Bowl. I don't know. I think it might be uh, might be wise of the Broncos just to let them in. You know, as, as the little girl on NFL uh, Network commercial says, pay the man. <laughs> but only winners get wing. 
wings. <laughs> well, wait, that's Marius Thomas, and right now you're not winning uh, when it comes to the NFL substance abuse policy and the public relations area. This has been a mess for the Broncos. It's been a mess for a long time. And uh, if he goes head-to-head with the Broncos, he, he came back contrite. He just, he said, you know, I made mistakes, and he just wanted to move on from it. He accepted the six-game suspension. Um, I'd like to see – I mean, he needs to get – what's owed to him they need to figure this out but i don't think it's up to the broncos or von miller at this point there needs to be some kind of arbitration there needs to be a decision above both of them that determines whether or not von miller gets to keep that signing bonus money so there you have it those of you listening in um i you know we're we're bringing this to you as it's kind of coming to us um it could be a non-factor. It could be a huge thing in a couple of weeks. We don't know, but we're bringing it to you now so that you're aware of it. And um, you can kind of, you know, we can, we can try and figure it out a little bit more in the comment section here. So uh, speaking of messes, Kyle, the Denver Broncos run game. <laughs> What's up with that? <laughs> uh, the running game was a surprise from the beginning week one. Just the fact that it was number two, seven, no Sean Marino coming out to start the game was a surprise to many. A lot of people called it. A lot of people called it all during camp. I think John Heath, our own MHR's own John Heath, and probably a few others called it. Um, but Ronnie Hillman was the guy all through off-season workouts. Ronnie Hillman was the guy all through training camp. Ronnie Hillman was the guy all through the preseason. And then here comes week one, half an hour before the game. Our good friend Andrew Mason is there at the game tweeting, hey, that's no Sean Marino in warm-ups. What's going on here? Um, the Broncos want a consistent rushing attack. They need to be consistent with their practice. That's my opinion on it. Um, they're a passing team. I'm not too concerned about struggling with the run when you score 49 points. Hey, you scored 49 points. But if that's a point of concern, the running game, then the Broncos just need to be consistent. They need to pick a guy, let him carry the rock until it's time for someone to spare him, and not have a three-man running back committee, which is what we saw Thursday we didn't see anyone get in any kind of rhythm, get any kind of uh, commitment to snaps. And if the Broncos want to run the football, they'll need to run the football. Uh, they they need to choose a guy. What do you think, Ian? I think, I mean, yeah, just look back at like the Terrell Davis days, which, which Elway was very much a part of. Not that he's making coaching decisions, but Terrell Davis would start off slow. And in the second half would start and all of a sudden he'd break off a 60 yarder you know, and then another another 30 yarder there was never i don't even think that anyone even got the opportunity to start you know like 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 uh even no sean moreno he didn't get a chance to to get hot um we didn't see ronnie hillman i don't think until the second half uh, maybe maybe one or one or two downs um no one was given a shot and then like what's going to happen when you when you bring cj anderson into this whole mix we got four guys to choose from you know, it's, it's it's the first guy that breaks off a six-yard run is going to get to hopefully carry the run for the rest <laughs> of the game. Broncos will be calling. Broncos fans will be calling him the next Terrell Davis after an eight-yard run. Yes, we're back. They were they were calling him the next Terrell Davis after forty-one yards in a preseason game. I'm just <laughs> well, yeah, I think it all started with uh, Ryan Terrain and the Mike Shanahan days. He, he's the one who started that. Hey, this is the next Terrell Davis trend. That was a pretty funny quote. <laughs> So um, I, I, I'd like to point out the, the interior portion of the line. I mean, throughout the, the weeks leading up to the game, I think the NFL and NFL media like to point out that um, Manny Ramirez was our arguably our third, fourth center on the team and, and not necessarily anyone's choice to, um, to be the starting guy. And then, then this game happens and everyone gets to point at him and say, see – 
told you they were going to suck at running. I don't really put the blame on Manny Ramirez. Um, he's a work in progress. I didn't think he played bad. I thought Ryan Clady actually had a worse game. Um, you know, on my first view, I thought Ryan Clady played pretty well, but when I watched the game again, uh, it was pretty clear to me that Ryan Clady was struggling. I don't think he has all of his strength back yet. A shoulder injury of that nature. I mean, he's not able to lift. He's not able to be at a hundred percent. So, um, I think the Broncos can expect more of him. And as Ryan Clady gets healthy, the line overall will play better. Um, he's still a better option than Chris Clark from what we saw in preseason. Uh, but Manny Ramirez didn't worry me too much yet. I'm just, I, I put the running on the, the running back woes on the coach's decision to rotate them up so much like we talked about. And I think if we're going uh, to say something good about the line, Orlando Franklin handled his business. On a Thursday, I think going head to head with with Elvis Dumerville, who probably would have loved to come out of that with five sacks on <laughs> Peyton Manning, and he just wasn't able to do it because Orlando Franklin was such a force. Um, and Clady handled both of them, uh, both Elvis Dumerville and, and Terrell Suggs, and that's quite an accomplishment. Uh, he didn't play well every snap, but um, he kept Suggs from getting those sacks. You bring up Terrell Suggs, and, and uh, if you watched the games last night or on Monday night. Um, you saw Terrell Suggs before the game screaming, I've never seen a Super Bowl champion facing more disrespect. I saw that. This year. I wonder if he felt more disrespected before or after the game. <laughs> I, w- I didn't know who said that. I didn't know it was Suggs. I thought somebody was trying to impersonate Ray, Lu- Ray Lewis there. No one's ever been this. Di- no Super Bowl champion has ever been this disrespected. Um, but you know what? Uh, I wanted Broncos fans to burn Joe Flacco's face in the middle of our field, that giant uh, poster on our stadium. Instead, they took it down in the middle of the game. I think they probably heard me talking about that too much. Uh, and I think a lot of people were planning on doing that, like rioting after the game, because I mean, that might have happened. So we didn't get the chance to do that, but we just had to um, burn him in metaphorical fash- fashion. I'm all, the for them. I'm all for them posting the quarterback's faces on our, on our stadium, you know, that, as long as we beat them. So it's like, we got Joe Flacco, we got Tom Brady, we got, you know, you name them, they're going to be on the side of mile high and it'll just be kind of like a warning to anybody entering into mile high. Like you want your face up there? I, I'm not for that. I, I understand what you're saying, but God, if Tom Brady is on that stadium, I might, <laughs> I, I, that makes me sick. I'm feel, you mentioned that and I feel physically sick. So, and I work for a company that sponsors Tom Brady. You know what it's like for me to go to work every day. <laughs> come, come playoff time though. You got, you got what, 12 quarterback spaces on the side of our stadium. It's a little <laughs> intimidating to be, I don't know. You're going to put two Joe Flacco faces up there. I don't, Cause anybody likely anybody that we face in the playoffs, we would already have at the stadium. We're playing the Colts. We're playing, playing the Texans. We're playing the Patriots. I don't know that we're going to see any teams in the playoffs that we haven't seen. I guess it's a little too early to call that we'll be at the playoffs, and that's kind of like the the cockiness that everyone hates about Denver Broncos fans right now. But something not to be cocky about, I guess, right now is Eric Decker. He, uh, (laughs) I don't know that he could have done any worse. I guess he could have. He had a bad game. Man, and I I don't know what to make of it. I don't know if this is uh, insight into his 2013 season. I don't think so. I think that's an overreaction. Eric Decker is extremely talented. He's made a lot of plays for the Broncos. He's the scoringest wide receiver in Denver history through his first two seasons. He he has the talent and he has the ability to bounce back from this, and I think he will. He he made Tim Tebow look good. No one else has been able to do that since. Uh, Demarius definitely did. Remember the stiff arm? 
Most yes. <laughs> um, I, I think Deadspin.com actually nailed it in there. They did a why your team suck um, Denver Broncos edition, and and at the end of it, they they named one fantasy football player uh, that from the Broncos that would drive you crazy, and they they called it. They said it's going to be Eric Decker. He's going to have a week where he sucks, and he's going to have a week where he puts up 150. He's going to have a week where he sucks, and he's going to have a week where I think. I mean, in reality, this is just really good reality show television he's, he comes home when I after a bad game i'm gonna have a good game next week honey you have a good game next week garrick and then he comes up and he's got you know 175 yards against the giants <laughs> that's that's their frustrating fantasy player you could pick one of four guys eric decker and any of the three running backs everybody drafted those guys in the mid rounds peyton manning throws seven touchdowns none to a running back every fantasy owner has one of those guys is like WTF, yo, Peyton, I thought you were my bro. You were all cheering for me when I was cutting that meat. You were all cut that meat, and now you leave me hanging. What the heck? <laughs> Peyton Manning was a, was a fantasy football phenomenon. I, I, I could pre, you could pretty much bank on the fact that if you had him on your team, uh, you probably won last week. And I, and I don't see it slowing down. It's not like you know, the Giants secondary is going to be able to stop these guys. They don't even have a fully functioning, like, First team defense out there right now in their in their back half. The front seven are are, are 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 just swell, but they're you know they're back four. I don't know. You know I love this breakdown of the Broncos offense. We're going to get into the Broncos defense, but we've got a guest tonight. Uh, his name is Neil Keefe from WFAN, and uh, he's got his own website. He covers the Giants and some of the New York teams, including the Yankees. He's going to talk to us about the upcoming game this week. We're going to come back from a break and uh, talk to Neil Keefe. Giants fan, a New York Giants fan? Yeah, New York Giants fan. <laughs> um, uh, Neil runs a website, keytothecity.com, and you can be found on Neil Keith on Twitter. Neil, um, we had a, a little bit of a flirtation this morning with Willis McGahee, and uh, the Giants ended up going with Brandon Jacobs, but do, do you know why they chose um, Brandon Jacobs over Willis McGahee? I'm not sure. I know that going back to last Friday, they were talking about bringing McGahee in even before the Cowboys game, even before David Wilson's problems, uh, fumbling the ball. And, you know, I've been a big McGahee guy ever since he entered the league. And I was hoping that maybe they'd strike a deal even before the Cowboys game just to have him for depth. Um, Brandon Jacobs is a guy who, going back to the beginning of his career with the Giants, especially during that Super Bowl run, his 07 season, and then the season after that when he had earth, wind, and fire in the Giants' great running game. You know, he, he was outstanding for them for a few years, and then he sort of fell off. He fell off with the team, the fans, the media. Um, as a baseball guy, I've been a big proponent against A.J. Burnett over the last few years, and I sort of classified him in that A.J. Burnett zone in New York where, you know, people just sort of got so sick of him that they're willing to do anything to get him out of town. And then he went to San Francisco. There's backlash against Tom Coughlin and the Giants and the coaching staff, the organization, and – you know, then about four or five o'clock today, we find out he's back with the Giants. And I guess everyone, you know, made up over what happened. And uh, he's not in football shape. He says he hasn't obviously played in the game since last season. And I don't know if he'll be active for uh, Sunday against the Broncos, but they need something. And even if it's Bannon Jacobs at this point, it's better than nothing. 
Neil, this is Kyle. Uh, Sunday against the Broncos. It's a fascinating game for me. It's a fascinating game for everyone, of course. Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, the brother bull. Uh, just looking back at week one, we saw the Giants um, come to something like six turnovers, I believe. <laughs> and with the Broncos scoring 49 points, so there was a kind of an opposite spectrum here as far as the offense goes. That being said, the Giants were in it at the end. Uh, how do you see them being able to do offensively to match the Broncos? I mean, the Giants offense, I think it's for what they have with Randall and Knicks and Cruz and especially Eli, um, it's very under the radar, which is, you know, they do get attention. They won't get attention probably till later in the year because you have the Broncos, you have the 49ers, you have the Packers, you have the Falcons teams that sort of seem to have more flashier quarterbacks, flashier wide receivers. But the Giants offense is right there and in one of the tops in the game. To me, I think it's top two or three. It's definitely right on par with the Broncos. I think we're going to see a shootout here on Sunday. Um, the thing that scares me is that the Giants, like you said, this six-turnover game, that's the type of game that my entire life the Giants have been in. And granted, I'm only 26 years old. I'm sure my dad's seen a lot worse games. But, um, you know, they just they are in these games where they could have beaten the Cowboys by a lot. They, they should have probably done that, given that they were in it to the last, you know, minute there, despite six turnovers. But... Um, Victor Cruz alluded to the fact that, you know, this is the type of game that this team's used to playing in where they get down, they have to come back. And as fans, that's one thing to think like that, but you don't want the players to think that, hey, even though we're down, we're always going to be able to come back. And that's just been the Giants way. And it wouldn't surprise me if this team gets down early or gets down big on Sunday and sort of comes back and makes the game. And they just can't keep relying on Eli in the two minute drill, because even though he's been so great over the last couple of years at it, you know, more times than not, when you get in these situations where you're running out of timeouts, you're below the two-minute warning, things just aren't going to go your way. And that's what happened the other night uh, with the deflected interception off Darrell Scott's hands. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is scary seeing as what they did to the Ravens and picked them apart. But they were at home. They were with the high altitude. They're playing against the new Ravens team. Uh, they're coming here, which isn't saying a lot since the Giants are a pretty bad home team at MetLife. But uh, – I don't know. It, it's it's a very intriguing game, like you said, because of the Manning Bowl and the fact that Eli's never beaten Payton. But uh, I, I do expect a high-scoring game, something like we saw uh, with the Packers 49ers or even with your Broncos and the Ravens. One of the things that's kind of been popular here in Denver is the comparison between Eli and Payton. And you can't – I mean, I, even as a Giants fan, I don't know that you would agree that Eli's a better quarterback than Payton, but no one really disagrees across the board that Eli's kind of had a better – playoff record than than uh Peyton Manning or just a better career I mean he's got two rings he just needs to bring out that extra ring at that Thanksgiving and kind of tap his head with it and Peyton kind of just has to submit what is what is the feeling in uh New York right now I, I know that the comparisons coming up as far as the Eli to Peyton comparisons well I think that you know Everyone's always going to say Peyton Manning is is better than Eli just because of his regular season numbers, and Peyton is probably the best regular season quarterback, maybe the best regular season quarterback of all time. But like you said, when it gets to the postseason, he sort of has these mistakes, has these blunders, and uh, he doesn't have the two rings like his brother. But you know, when you look at that Super Bowl, he played in the second Super Bowl against the Saints, and there's the onside kick that changed the game. Uh, Pierre Garçon had a huge drop that could have changed the game early on and blown it open. Um, and everyone always mentions the Peyton Manning pick six that sort of put the game away, but they don't talk about the other plays. And you look at Eli's Super Bowls, and you know he had David Tyree make a crazy catch off his head. One of the best, uh, yeah, yeah one of the best catches, one of the best exactly. catches of all and, <laughs> time. And, and, and sort of a few things went his way that didn't go Peyton's way. And uh, 
and Peyton's been bad in the early rounds of the playoffs too. It's not just, you know, that one Super Bowl that, that got him. He was terrible against the Patriots early in his career. But um, I don't know if it's just that he tries to do too much or it's just a different game plan. I think Eli is more of a game manager. He doesn't have as many pass attempts uh, per game, especially once they get to the playoffs. They sort of rely on their defense and their pass rush. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, as an Eli supporter, I, I am, you know, all for him. I believe in him. I believe in him in the postseason um, and obviously Peyton Manning is who he is, and you always got to be worried when he comes to town, especially in the regular season, because, like I said, he is probably the best regular season quarterback ever. It's interesting you mentioned the game manager role uh, for Eli, because I always agreed with that, and even during the Super Bowl, you know, Eli won both Super Bowl MVPs. I actually argued that Justin Tuck probably should have won both of them. I argued it when they won the first Super Bowl, and then when they won the second Super Bowl, I argued it again. Do you agree with that? Did Eli deserve to win those Super Bowl MVPs? I think it's always hard for a quarterback not to win it, no matter how big of a case you want to make the other way. And yeah. had Tyree not made that catch, Wes Walker was going to win it, the first one. And in the last one, yeah, you could probably make the case that Eli didn't. I think, you know, when he makes that uh, pass to Mario Manningham that sort of got that final drive going, I think that sort of solidified writers and the media and those with votes on giving it to Eli. Um, I, I think also the storyline about Eli, you know, struggling his first few years and becoming this this guy, you know, who was always in his brother's shadow and then winning the Super Bowl. I think it's just hard for people to look away from these these storylines that the media feeds to you. It's just easy to give it to the quarterback at the end of the day, I think. I ask that because I've always been a big Justin Tuck fan. The Broncos almost traded for Justin Tuck. In fact, they did back in, I think it was 2006 uh, for Al yeah. Wilson. And that trade fell through. So I've always kind of followed Justin Tuck's career and watched him get multiple sacks during the Super Bowl and just kind of, you know... Well, he was nowhere what, to what be found. Uh, he wasn't really anywhere to be found the other night or last season. So maybe it, it might be time to you know look at another trade option with the Broncos for him. <laughs> Will you still take out Wilson? He's been retired with the next for five years. But <laughs> that's great. Uh, let me let me talk to you about Victor Cruz. He had two touchdowns on Sunday. Is that correct? Uh, three. Three. He had three. He had three touchdowns. Uh, you know, if the Broncos can't have Chan Bailey out there, they have a couple of talented cornerbacks, Dominic Rogers cromartie and a guy that's flying under the radar across the NFL is named Chris Harris. Um, what kind of matchup problems does Victor Cruz present uh, to a young cornerback like that? Well, I know Harris is, uh, has a lot of attention as possibly the best uh, slot corner in the league, and I think Cruz is going to present tough problems for anybody, whether they're considered the best or not, just because of Hakeem Nix being on the field and now Ruben Randall, who's sort of emerged now as a guy who might force the Giants to not give Nix the money that he wants, uh, you know, at the end of the season and and let him go over uh, via free agency. But um, the thing with Cruz is that he's the one that gets the the attention. He's the one with the salsa dance. He's the marketable one. But he gets all this because of Hakeem Nix and the reason he draws the top players on the second. So that leaves Cruz open for these 70 plus yard touchdowns. Uh, he seems to, he seems to give the giants every week. Um, I think that this wide receiver crew is probably the best in the entire NFL, even better than the Falcons. Uh, I hate to say even better than your, your Broncos over there, which blasphemy has, now has Wes Walker, but, uh, with Knicks and Randall Cruz is going to be open a lot of times across the middle of the field, uh, with those two big play threats. So, uh, I don't know if there's anyone that can really, hold him down fully. And even if they do, then obviously they have Knicks and Randall going down the sideline. So, um, yeah, one of the things you mentioned, Justin Tuck, but you didn't mention JPP. What is his status for the game? Well, he, he was questionable even on Sunday going into opening night and he was going to warm up before the game and stretch and see how he felt. And 
Luckily, he did feel uh, good enough to play, and he became a factor late in the fourth quarter. But like uh, he, he, like I said, with Jacobs being in football shape, uh, I the Daily News is reporting today that JPP admitted that he's not in game shape and he's only going to get better as the season progressed. And he said that, you know, that that's not what people want to hear with Peyton Manning to come into town, which certainly is what we want to hear. But he missed a few plays. He looked like he was stretching his neck out on the sidelines. They reported as a burner during the Cowboys game. Um, I expect him to play. He didn't, he didn't leave the field earlier or miss the end of the game or anything. Chris Harris is, you know, he's, he's been going up against Wes Welker for about a month and a half now. So he might be, he might be ready to take on Victor Cruz. Not sure. I don't know who you feel the better receiver is between those two, who the better slot guy is. Have you? Um, what have you heard uh, as far as matchups go? Like, what are you guys interested from a from a Giants fan perspective? I mean, from a Giants fan perspective, I think I think offense is going to be able to put up numbers. The Giants, no matter what, like the Broncos are. Um, what it really comes down to is the Giants stops against the Broncos. Don't play well with the defense. The team as a whole doesn't play well at home. That's just been going back now season. And the defense especially plays terrible. Uh, so if this if this banged up secondary Prince of is coming off a concussion at a Sunday night, Tom Coughlin today being the old school guy he is, he said that he's like, oh, it's fine or whatever, which is obviously uh, you know not viewed well this day and age, but the way he can treat it. But if he's not available to be in the game, and JPP's hurt, and if there happens Nick's, uh, Nick's and bang ups between now and Sunday, which we hear about the practice. Uh, and, you know, we could be in some real trouble because the Giants have a hard time covering, you know, average quarterbacks in the league uh, during the Super Bowl season. You know, they got beat by Charles. Um, so, payment is obviously a different animal than that. And if you're not at 100%, he's going to crush you every single time. So, I think the biggest matchup I'm concerned about is Payment and his receivers against banged up Giants secondary. And for the last question, what matchup should the Broncos be worried about? Is this is this a situation where the Broncos are trying to outscore the Giants or they're trying to stop the Giants? Is this an offense versus defense, or where should the Broncos be worried? I think the Giants, uh, the Broncos should be worried about the Giants' offense in both ways with this. Uh, each team should be worried about the other team's offense. Um, I mean, the Broncos don't really have to worry about a running game. If David Wilson's in the doghouse, um, if Tom Clover's not going to play him because of his fumbles, which he needs to play him because he's a first-round talent, He's explosive. He has the capability to be great in this league um, just because he had a bad opening night last year and a bad opening night this year isn't enough to dismiss him and, and sort of, you know, ruin the season by having third and fourth string running backs in there. Um, so they, they don't really have to worry about the running game. I think the Broncos really have to worry about the passing game, um, as I mentioned time and again with the three receivers. Um, and aside from that, you know, expect a shootout, expect big numbers. Um, this might be one of those cases where the whoever has the ball last will win. All right, Neil. Well, thank you so much. Again, it's uh, give, plug your website for us real quick. Yeah, it's keeptothecity.com, uh, my last name, and then tothecity.com. And it's perspective on uh, all New York sports, uh, mainly focused on Yankees, Rangers, and Giants. So we'll have a link for that in the, um, in the actual post. But thank you so much, Neil. It was great talking to you. Thank you. Thanks, guys, and uh, good luck on Sunday. You too. Cheers. You too.
thanks Neil um, and his website again is keytothecity.com him and I uh, Neil and I will be going back and forth this week um, between his site and probably MHR a little bit just within um, a nice little email conversation that he introduced Let's talk about introducing other people, though. Um, Ian Nacho doesn't really need much of an introduction after that preseason, Kyle. With a name like that, he needs no introduction. Duke Ian Nacho. <laughs> uh, just the latest of of I don't know. There's there's is there a person on the Broncos defense that was drafted other than Von Miller? I feel like they're all unsigned <laughs> rookies. Well, <laughs> Sylvester, point, Sylvester Williams, Derek Wolf, maybe. <laughs> Derek Wolf, Sylvester Williams, and, and Raheem Moore. But other than that, I don't know. Nate Irving was a, somewhere in there. They're mostly draft picks. They're not quite <laughs> quite that good at getting the undrafted guys. But Duki Nacho is quite the story. And the reason he's quite the story, why it was so remarkable, both he and Julius Thomas fit under this. I've been at Broncos training camps. I've seen guys play well. And I wonder, why aren't they being given a chance? Why aren't they moving up the depth chart? They're playing really well. They, the coaches must know something I don't know. Well, in the case of these two guys, and especially Duki Inacho, expectations were, were kind of high for Julius Thomas, at least internally. Uh, Duki Inacho came out of nowhere. He really did. The Broncos did not expect him to take that opportunity and run with it the way he did. And when Jack Del Rio at training camp, we asked him about Duki Inacho, he almost talked to the media like, well, you see what I see. You see how well he's playing. It's pretty obvious that this guy deserves it. Something I thought a hundred different times, and now a coach was saying it. From that moment, I was all in, bought in to the Duke Ianacho as a starter story, and he has lived to that bill. He had a terrific first week. And a hat tip to uh, the Denver Broncos player personnel department, who welcomes back Matt Russell next week. Um, well, and I mean, but in reality, like you look at another guy that was picked up this offseason who we, we lost Elvis Dumerville. We lost Von Miller for the first six games, and we didn't really lose much on the field thanks to Sean Phillips. The offense helped a lot. I, I'm not thrilled with the defense. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it, but the fact that the Broncos were up double digits for most of the second half uh, gave the defense the opportunity to pin their ears back and get those sacks. Uh, Sean Phillips was able to get two and a, get to Flacco two and a half times. Uh, he had a couple of other pressures as well, and that that's impressive. Um, but just putting a little asterisk on there, they were they were up big. Um, but then again, that's what we want the Broncos to be, right? That's the way we built this team. Uh, we the fans built this team, not John Elway. Um, that's the way John Elway built this team. He he wanted a team that will score a lot of points, require teams to have to throw the football, and let some pass rushers go after it. Uh, Sean Phillips uh, exceeded expectations. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess we have more of that to look forward to. I don't know how. How do you? How are? How do you, if you're Peyton Manning, how are you dealing with uh, your defense teeing off on <laughs> on your little brother? I don't know how that's gonna work. Hopefully they get the chance though. So let's talk about. If, if oh, I'm Peyton Manning, I'm like I'm just like okay. I don't have to beat up on Eli anymore. I'll let my teammates do that. Yeah, he's beat up on Eli his whole life. He doesn't care. And if I'm Peyton Manning, I'm also thinking about that stat that I uncovered, that uh, pro football focus. We, we had a, a post on milehighreport.com this week. Uh, I looked in focus at the PFF stats. Sean Phillips had a higher grade than Peyton Manning. How is that possible? How do these grades – how is Peyton Manning not the top-ranked quarterback on ESPN's Q, QBR ratings? And how is Sean Phillips graded higher than Peyton Manning? That's to imply that Sean Phillips did a better job at his job – 
than Peyton Manning. I like stats. I like analytics. I like these advanced stats. But you need to go back to the drawing board when a performance that impressive does not surpass everyone else completely. You need to right. come up with a new formula. I agree with you. And, and you saw that a little bit as like as uh, Sunday started rolling through. ESPN has their statistic that they're trying to do for quarterback ranking. It's like Peyton Manning's being punished because he doesn't run for 60 yards like you know half the other quarterbacks in the league. So let's talk about let's talk about the other the other event on Sunday. Oh, was... I guess we're done talking about Broncos football. It's been a great <laughs> MHR podcast. Thank you everybody for joining the MHR Radio podcast. Now we're going into the oh my freaking god Breaking Bad podcast. <laughs> Is that what you're referring to, Ian? That's what I'm referring to. If you have Breaking Bad, uh, <laughs> if you have not caught up on this last Sunday's episode, turn it off now. Thank you for joining us. So uh, actually, <laughs> thank you for pronouncing that for me. So <laughs> the name of the episode was Tahajali. The name of the native Indian reservation where the showdown took place, Tahajali. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I heard Brian Cranston say it and kind of tried to memorize it for this podcast. Tahajali. That's that's yeah, and it's it's spelled just like it sounds. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> With a couple of apostrophes and random vowels. <laughs> so the interesting thing, uh, one of the, this is, doesn't have well, it does have something to do with the, uh, Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad has a female executive producer. There's a couple shows on television right now that, that have uh, female creators and female directors. Um, one of them is Breaking Bad, and the other one is Ray Donovan, which is another super violent show. But for this this uh, this episode. There's a major shootout. It's directed by a female. Um, it's it's almost as if an, uh, American Psycho. There's another American Psycho is directed by a female. It's like women have a better way of showing violence than men. And these you know these, these amazing shootout that happens in um, in Breaking Bad. What was like? What was one of your major, I guess, uh, takeaways from the episode, Kyle? The episode was written so well it was it was set up by last week's kind of slower episode there wasn't a lot of action the week before uh i love it when breaking bad does that they kind of you know they have they allow the ebbs and flows of storytelling they give that to the audience so that when something big comes it's huge and this is the biggest showdown the series has ever seen there's no doubt about it this is bigger than gus versus walt um this is this is hank Winning, Hank won. Almost. <laughs> now Hank is about to die, or something. We don't know, but for a moment there, I mean that this entire episode was a perfect cat and mouse game. It was Walt trying to trap Jesse, uh, Hank trying to trap Walt, and Hank winning. Walt failed. Walt was outsmarted. Jesse and Hank were able to get him. Uh, I'd like to toot my own horn a little bit. I, I called Hank and Jesse teaming up, but I mean, that's about the only thing. At a very high level, I, I, I had no idea how it was going to go about. The story as it is written is so much better than I could have ever come up with myself. But I remember before the season started, I said, you know, Hank's going to go after Walt, but he's going to go at him sideways. He's going to, to make a connection with Jesse and go at him with Jesse. And I said, I think Hank and Walt, that showdown is going to get resolved by about episode five. It's episode five, not resolved yet. And I think Jesse and Walt is the big showdown of the season. So we've got uh, how many? Three, three episodes left. We have three episodes left. The next episode, I'm actually not sure how to pronounce this one. It's Ozymand- Ozymandias. 
that, that might be it. But it's uh, some, I think, ancient author or something. He has a poem talking about his empire and his empire being fallen. And that's this poem that Brian Cranston uh, read out loud. And it's kind of the teaser to this episode. The series is on lockdown now. You, do you know that, Ian? The, no. the, there are no more review episodes being released to anyone. Uh, that makes sense. Uh, it's been incredibly airtight security all season long, but now even the websites that have all these uh, Breaking Bad reviews up the night of the episode, uh, they're not even getting review episodes up anymore. So nobody knows what's going to happen. Um, and the next episode is directed by one of my favorite uh, directors, Ryan Johnson. He directed Looper, which is one of my favorite movies of the last couple of years. Ryan Johnson's actually a, a Denver guy. He, Looper, he broke onto the scene with with a hit film called Brick. Uh, won the Sundance Visionary Award, but yeah, he's a he's a truly truly great director and such a I think I think he's probably 32 years old too. He's a young guy. You, you told me you know off air that he was a Denver guy, and I about flipped my pants. I did not know that. I, I love Ryan Johnson, and uh, he's directed a few Breaking Bad episodes, and uh, he was given one of the last ones, which is pretty cool. I'm very excited to see what happens. Do you have any he's predictions? A, he's got a great. Well, I mean, if Ryan Johnson had anything to do with the, writing the episodes, I believe Ryan Johnson. He puts his movies in iambic pentameter, and it's what? what does that mean? <laughs> the dialogue. The dialogue is in iambic pentameter, which wow. is interesting that they're using a poem. You know, like there's a lot of really weird, odd things that could happen with this. I don't even, I don't, I don't know what what type of prediction to make, but uh, we're, we're going to, and, you know, you, you choose Ryan Johnson for a reason. It's not just because he directed Looper. He would have done the final episode if that were the case. Here are the questions. Here are the big questions. This is what you need to predict, yes or no, and I'll do the same. Does Hank die? Yes. Does Gomez die? His partner, his... Yeah, no, I, I'm trying to... I don't know. Yes. Okay. I, was, I, thought you, <laughs> I thought you forgot who he was, and I was like, the other guy in the shootout? No, uh, no, no. <laughs> does Jesse die? No. Then how does Jesse survive? I don't know. I don't either. I don't know. I think the same thing. I think the same thing. And I think the phone call to Marie is what dooms Walt. I think Walt was going to try to distance himself from it and say, I had no control over this. I did not call out the hit on Hank. And Marie got the phone call. Marie got that phone call that said, honey, I got him. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) And then she'll know that Walt was in handcuffs. Right. His his empire comes falling down. His empire being his family, his life, everything. You just got to think about like what you want to happen and then say, okay, well, that's not going to happen. And I don't know. I mean, that's how, that's how it's going to work probably for the rest of the season. It's like what you want to happen. And you're like, oh, wow, that actually works out better. And then that's going to get killed too. (laughs) I think Jesse survives too. I think Jesse survives the last episode and it's going to be that kind of showdown or they team up. I don't, I don't know. This show is impossible to predict really. It's one of it's we can guarantee that's gonna be it's gonna be perfect. And and it's one of, if not the best television show in, in uh in history. It's the it, <laughs> I, I mean I never watched The Wire. People compare it to The Wire and say that it is, so I never watched The Wire. That's one I need to watch. But this is the best television show, movie, video games are very um, dramatic, very episodic, very can tell incredible stories. This is the best piece of media I've ever uh, had the pleasure to enjoy Breaking Bad. So, uh, tip of my hat off to them. Three more episodes left. I can hardly wait. All right, guys, and um, thank you 
for uh, once again joining us, and, and we'll be back next week. We'll be back every Wednesday for the rest of the season, even possibly after the season. I don't know. Um, but thank you for joining us, and, and feel free to join us in the comments after this. Thanks.